Welcome to Plodcast. This is episode four, if I'm keeping track properly, as I believe I am. Episode four, Plodcast. You are most welcome. What I want to do is talk a little bit about rights. Rights. What's wrong with human rights? And some people are going to say, well, what do you mean, what's wrong with human rights? Nothing by definition. Well, actually, the word definition is one of the subject area of definitions is a most important one here. So let me, let me talk about that for a moment. There are two different kinds of rights, and let's call them positive rights and negative rights. Positive rights and negative rights. So let me give you an example. A positive right would be, I have a right to affordable health care. I have a right to affordable health care, or I have a right to free health care. Or I could change it and say, I have a right to a lifetime supply of free chocolate milk. That's a positive right. Now, a negative right would be something like the right to free speech. The Bill of Rights that we have in the American Constitution is a list of negative rights. Congress will make no law uh, concerning the establishment of religion or, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. The Second Amendment, the right to keep and bear arms, is, it shall not be in, infringed upon. You have a right to not have unreasonable searches and seizures and so on. So when you talk about negative rights, let's say the right to free speech, First Amendment free speech right, or Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms, what does the government have to do in order to give you that right to free speech? Well, it's a negative right they don't have to do anything. All they have to do is avoid doing something. So if the, if the king sits in his palace and doesn't do anything, then that means his subjects can run around and say what they please. If the king comes in with his troops and knocks heads and says, you can't say that about the king, then what he, he has to act in order to restrict free speech. But he doesn't have to act in order to allow it. He just has to not act. So a negative right costs nothing. A negative right costs nothing. Let's jump back to the positive right. You might be able to see this uh, image more clearly with the chocolate milk example. If I have a right to one quart of chocolate milk a day, if I have a right to one quart of chocolate milk a day, then that means that somebody else, we haven't defined who it is yet, but somebody else has an obligation to provide me with a quart of chocolate milk a day. Someone, a chocolate milk producer, has the obligation to see to it that I get this free chocolate milk. If I have a right to it, someone else has an obligation to provide it. If I have a right to free medical care, then that means that some doctor somewhere has an obligation to provide me with that free medical, medical care. But that doctor has costs. He might not want to do it. He might not be able to afford to do it. He might not, I might live too far away, or there might be various barriers, so enter the government to make him provide what I have a right to. If I have a right to, to affordable housing, then someone has an obligation to sell me a house 
at that level. If I have a right to free health care, someone else has an obligation to give me that health care. If I have a right to chocolate milk, someone has the obligation to give me that chocolate milk. Now, what that means is that that's expensive because someone has to either provide it or someone else, a third party, has to step in to supply the necessary coercion such that he supplies me with the thing I have a right to. And the first thing you should notice here is the, is the people, this is a common theme, uh, the people who say things like affordable housing or a living wage or free health care or free chocolate milk, these people are overwhelmingly bad at math. They are not good at tallying things up. And they can add, if you, ta- if you tallied up the cost, the actual cost of all the chocolate milk, of all the medical care, of all the prescription drugs, of all the houses, of all the wages, and then said, okay, what we have here, we've, we've tallied all this up, and it's $3 trillion. So it's $3 trillion. And then you look over at the suppliers and the producers and the, the, the ones who would distribute this, and you tally up the inventory of everything they've got, you, can dis- you will discover that what they've got over there is $1 trillion worth. So the suppliers, the people who have the obligation to fulfill these rights, have $1 trillion, and the total tally of what is owed to me on the uh, recipient side would be $3 trillion. So what should that tell us? Well, that should tell us that we ought not to be trafficking in positive rights. The, the government is not God, and the government cannot summon wealth into existence and then oversee the fair distribution of these goods. This is why places like Venezuela, one of the, one of the richer countries in South America, is turning into a hellhole while we speak. And it's because you have socialist, communist, leftists who, if they, were put in, if they were put in charge of the Sahara, would be promptly running a shortage of sand within just a few years. You, if you put socialists in charge of Hawaii, completely put them in charge, it wouldn't be long before they were running low on salt water. Uh, so basically, socialism, this kind of bad-at-math Uh, in the name of human rights, and by that they mean positive rights. Bad at math, human rights campaign is a a never-ending poverty machine. That's what they they do, is they impoverish the people with the one trillion dollars of goods and services in order to give it to the people who are, you know, the crater over there is three trillion, and, and it doesn't take too much pillaging of the people with the one trillion before they figure out that there's a real disincentive here um, to um, producing any more. If we produce any more, if, uh, if we graduate more people from med school, if we, if we manufacture more chocolate milk, if we make more prescription drugs, we are just generating a supply of things that this dogma that's now running the show says that these other people have a right to which means that we have an obligation, if we are in possession of these things, that means we have an obligation to provide them with these things. And so, since, since they're in the justice and fairness cops, they will come and take them away. And they'll take them away and give them to these people who have a right to them. Well, why should I produce things that, that are simply going to be confiscated? 
Why am I going to produce things that are simply going to be taken away? All of a sudden, unexpectedly, we have food shortages, grain shortages, salt water shortages, chocolate milk shortages. All of a sudden, we don't have anything anymore. Always a will be God. God in creation. God went ahead of I want to commend to you The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. And the reason I want to do that is uh, John Bunyan was a very great genius, but he was a genius who lived in the 1600s, and so some of his ways of expressing himself are, to our ears, quaint. You know, there are the these and the thous, and there are the odd expressions and, and so on. But as C.S. Lewis points out about Bunyan's prose, Bunyan had a pitch-perfect ear for dialogue. And we have to realize that the novel as we currently experience it, as we currently envision it, is a product of many centuries of development. And I think it could be argued that one of the great geniuses who laid down some of the uh, patterns for this development was John Bunyan. He had a perfect pitch for reproducing dialogue. As Lewis points out, if you want to know how people on the streets of Bedford spoke centuries ago, you could uh, you, you turn to Bunyan, you read Bunyan. We have to be severe with ourselves because we are a very provincial and impatient people. If you have a writer today who goes to a writer's, writer's workshop, they will be given a bunch of dogmatic statements that, that really do fit with our style, our way of approaching fiction and literature. You'll be told not to use the passive voice, for example. But Jane Austen used the passive voice a lot and to great effect, and in her generation had a different uh, set of sensibilities. They had a different set of things that they were looking for. The same thing is true of Bunyan. Bunyan was writing for a particular audience, and the audience that he was writing for received it enthusiastically. So uh, Bunyan's book was a big hit. It has been translated into numerous languages. There's something about it that really resonates with the pious and devout human soul. And I, I, I just uh, think it's something that you can't really consider yourself educated in letters unless you're thoroughly acquainted with Pilgrim's Progress. Charles Spurgeon estimates that he read it maybe a hundred times. I've not read it nearly that often, but I'm, uh, I want to be in some way, shape, or form be making my way through Bunyan all the time. So at however slow or fast I'm going, I'm, I've got a copy of Bunyan there that I want to be working through all the time. And when I'm done, I just go back to the beginning and, and start, start over. Pilgrim's Progress has got a lot of shrewd pastoral wisdom. It has uh, characters uh, in it, even though, even though they're labeled in what we would consider a heavy-handed allegorical way. I mean, with characters like Talkative or Pliable or Mr. Worldly, Wise Man, uh, you know, things like that. You've got little labels that telling you whether this is a good guy or a bad guy, and that seems too obvious for us. Nevertheless, those characters are still running around today, and to be steeped in Bunyan's world is to be prepared for the Christian life.
So I, t I hope that you're enjoying our little uh, lexicon of sin. Um, not enjoying sin, but enjoying the lexicon of sin. Uh, we want to study sin, as I said earlier, so that we can be equipped to resist temptation. The word agon, A-G-O-N, is rendered as contention in 1 Thessalonians 2.2. We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. Everywhere else in the New Testament, this word agon is used in a positive sense. It usually means conflict or fight, as it does in Philippians 1.30 and Colossians 2.1 and in, in 1 Timothy 6.12 and in 2 Timothy 4.7. And in one place, it refers to a race in um, Hebrews 12.1. And in all of them, it refers to a struggle or a fight of faith as seen from the perspective of the righteous one in the contest. So when you have a fight, when you have a conflict, when you have a competition, when you have a race, there's the protagonist and there's the antagonist. There's the, the one you want to win it, and there's the one you want to lose it. I want to, I'll come back and say something else about that in a moment. In the New Testament, the, the word agon is used one time in a pejorative sense, in a negative sense, rejecting the misdeeds or the misbehavior of the antagonist. That's 1 Thessalonians 2.2. So in that place, it refers to the natural hostility that arises when someone preaches or lives out the gospel fruitfully, faithfully. The seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman don't get along, and they never have. So when, when you're looking at it from the standpoint of the righteous man, the righteous woman who is striving, fighting in the contest to please God, agon there is a virtue. It's a good thing. When you look at it uh, as, as seen from the perspective of the malicious and envious and, and the, the bitter people who oppose the godly, then that same thing is negative. It's a sin. So here's, um, here's another way of thinking about it. And actually getting straight on this is something that I think a lot of Christians need to think through. There are many people who think that the battle between righteousness and unrighteousness is like a football game where, uh, you know, you've got referees on the field and they represent our secular neutrality and they blow the whistle on any kind of fouls. So you've got the good guys over here and the bad guys over there and if it's clipping for one side, it's clipping for the other side. If it's uh, offsides for one side, it's offsides for the other. If it's uh, unsportsmanlike conduct for one side, it's the same for the other and, and so on. Well, the, the difficulty is, is this. When Jesus calls the Pharisees names, he calls them uh, he's in John 8, he says they're of their father, the devil. In Matthew 23, he calls them whited sepulchers. He, he calls them all kinds of things. And if you look elsewhere in the New Testament, the Pharisees call him names. Uh, they say that he's a glutton and a wine-bibber and he's demon-possessed. But what would you think of someone who said, well, the Pharisees get to call Jesus names because after all, he called them names. That's like saying, if Jesus runs the ball 10 yards, then they get to run the ball 10 yards. And, and what's sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander. Well, when it comes to the battle between righteousness and unrighteousness, there can be no neutrality. There can be no level playing field. So when Jesus says that you are sons of the devil, you are a brood of vipers, he gets to call them a brood of vipers. 
Why? Because it's true. Why don't they get to call him a glutton and a wine-bibber? Well, because it's false. (laughs) So um, Jesus can say that they are hypocritical whited tombs because they were, in fact, hypocritical whited tombs. They could not call him demon-possessed. They couldn't say that he had a, a devil because that was false. He didn't have a devil. And so, basically, we have to understand that the agon from one side, from the side of the righteous, is a virtuous thing. It's a virtuous, it's a virtuous thing to be engaged in this struggle. If, if you're on the other side, if you're on the side of the wicked, it is not virtuous at all. God in the time of the sickness, God in the doctor too. You've spent a pleasant half hour with podcast proprietor Douglas Wilson. This podcast is produced by Canon Press. Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform. To hear more from Doug, please visit canonpress.com.